You're listening to Miscast Commentary. Hey everybody, welcome to Miscast Commentary, coming attractions episode. I am Joe Finley, absent again, Todd, Tebow the Sailor Murray. He will be back next week with us. It's going to be a blast, I promise. I hope everybody had a happy holiday in the U.S. I hope everybody shopped till they dropped or balked at the system whatever whatever you guys do uh enjoy yourselves i want this is this whole season is the holiday season i hope everybody's enjoying themselves anyways we have um not a lot to talk about today but a very full show uh just a couple of things i want to talk about right off the bat first off uh box office going right now seems fast and slow at the same time you got some good movies out right now you got knives out you've got uh Frozen, uh, Frozen 2, I mean, and that is lighting it up in the box office. I'm actually taking my kids to see it very shortly. And something uh, just drives me nuts. Uh, I got a text from Todd the other day, and he said the the words that annoy me the most. He's like, the, Z- the Zack Snyder cut is gaining traction again. And so I started looking into it, and of course people are doing things. And then I hear, literally I'm just eating at a restaurant, and I hear two people talking about this, and this is where the problem comes in, okay? So the one guy tells the other guy that Zack Snyder posted on his on his social media that he has film cans that, ha- that had like Zack Snyder cut or whatever, ZS cut, whatever, written on the cans. And then he went on to say, oh, I heard that this scene happens and this scene happens and that this is the scene and they changed this to this and blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. First off, the cut, the quote-unquote cut that existed before Zack Snyder left the project was an assembly edit. So it would not have been printed and canned. That's just a fact. That's how movies work. It would have been a digital file on a hard drive. Fact number two. Nobody knows what the movie is. Nobody. So what people are getting is just a lot of fan theories and all that. And that's great. I don't mind fan theories and stuff like that. But don't take it as gospel, guys. You guys are nuts. Especially DC fans are really frustrating because they feel like the guy who they complained about ruining the DC universe is also the guy who's going to save the DC universe if they get this movie. Hey, you know the previous two movies he did that were god-awful? Well, the next movie is going to be the best movie. It's going to be better than every Marvel movie and all that. But then he left the project after people didn't like... Well, he didn't leave because they didn't like what was going on. There was other stuff going on, of course. There was uh, the death of his... I believe it was his son. And that's terrible. And, you know, hopefully they have worked through that or are continuing to work through that but the idea that somehow that movie was so great that the studio needed to hide it is bananas and Zack Snyder doing what he did is irresponsible but I know why he did it because he's kind of in a director jail right now nobody really gives a shit about him except the people talking about the Snyder Cut And so what he's now doing is he's trying to make a Snyder Cut. He doesn't have a Snyder Cut. He wants to make the Snyder Cut. He couldn't release anything. There's no special effects on his his assembly edit. There's no, it's probably, the reason it's like two hours and 45 minutes long or however long is because it hasn't been cut down yet, which is how movies happen. Like comedies, like friggin' uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin was like three and a half hours on its first cut. Okay, guys? 
I know I'm bitchy about this, but it just drives me nuts when people keep bringing it back and they're like, oh, no, this is the real thing. You guys all know better. We're, we live in a world where the information is so much easier to get now, but everybody's just going off of just random fan theories and stuff like that. And I expect better of you. I know my listeners aren't doing this. I'm, I want you to go and take this information and go lash out at others. That's really what we're we here here to do during the holiday season is spread the hate. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, I'll say no more about that. It's it is what it is. There isn't a real Snyder cut. If Snyder ever releases a cut, it's because this uh, movement right now and then his his moves on the other on the side are to get him money so he can actually complete a cut. And that's actually okay. That's not a bad thing. But don't expect it to be better. Don't expect it to be worse. Don't expect anything from it. Just watch it and see what it is. Because to say that his version definitely would have been better than the version that came out is ludicrous without seeing it. It might be better. It might be way better. It might be a little better. It might be infinitely worse. My experience with Zack Snyder movies would lead me to believe that it would be infinitely worse. But And that's saying something for that movie because Jesus. But yeah, I mean, that's all there is to that. So I'm going to leave that at that. We have way bigger things to deal with today. And that is, as promised, I have a gift for you. And it's fun that I have a gift for you because today, as you were listening to this, it is my birthday, December 6th. I turned 38, or as my wife thought last week, I already was 38, but I'm now 38 today. So happy birthday to me. Don't sing the happy birthday song. You'll have to pay money. So if you choose to sing happy birthday, make up one of those like awful restaurant songs where eight people gather around and just clap at you until they give you melted ice cream. All right. But as I said, I have a gift for you. As promised, the complete interview with Jordan Downey. You heard clips of him from our episode last week with Thanks Killing. And now we have the entire thing. So strap in. It is a good, awesome, and long interview, and he has a lot to say, and we talked about pretty much his entire career. So take a listen. All right, and we are here with the director and the voice of Turkey in Thanksgiving. We're here with Jordan Downey. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys for having me and happy thanksgiving and gobble 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 i want to start right off uh in college uh you uh team up with kevin stewart who uh has been your cinematographer on all your projects how did that uh team come to come to pass we were i mean we were just friends at film school we were neighbors um like on campus and we were both living in the apartments on campus and he was my neighbor and he was in the film school as well. And we would, you know, there would be a select group of us, maybe 10 to 20 different students that would work on all the student films on the weekends. And so we were all good friends, but Kevin and I kind of hit it off more and kind of formed a connection pretty quickly just because we have a very similar sense of humor and sensibilities towards just the kinds of movies that we liked. Um, and especially horror films and science fiction and genre stuff that a lot of the other students weren't really into. Um, so we, we became friends, uh, you know, pretty early on when we were within the first year or two of school and then started making our own projects together again, simply because we were just some of the people that wanted to go and choose stuff. And we were driven to, you know, 
borrow the camera gear and, and instead of going to the party on Friday or Saturday night, go and sneak into the soundstage and go and shoot some, you know, kind of a horror short film or something. That, and that, that basis of that relationship is what led us to eventually making Thanks Killing all the way up to most recently The Headhunter, uh, really. That's awesome. And uh, working together so long, uh, how, ha- how has that been as far as uh, kind of knowing each other's shorthand as a director, cinematographer team? Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, I have never worked with another cinematographer. There was another case where that was going to happen, and then that other person's schedule fell through, and Kevin did it. So at this point, I think we're we're destined for the rest of our careers to be working together. But but really, you know, Kevin might get known for being the cinematographer on these movies because they do look very good, and he does a great job with it. But he is a lot more than that because we are producing them and a lot of times coming up with the ideas together. So in, in addition to writing he's also producing and we're making the props and in the case of this, the lower budget stuff, we're making the sets and the props and all that stuff together. So, you know, by the time we get to set and it becomes a director cinematographer relationship, we have already either written the script together and have already talked through, you know, just what the shots are going to be or what some of the sequences are going to be like. And so there's an, an extreme shorthand in that case. And that's incredibly rare. I've never, still to this day seen or heard of a writer cinematographer sort of dual threat um which is fascinating because both are are storytelling but just one's kind of more with the camera and with the lenses and and how you're moving that kind of the the technical aspects of production with but then the other is the the writing and dialogue and storytelling but it's the same thing so that that is it's been great i mean in in many ways it's almost like having a second director by my side because there's somebody else who and, and he can be incredibly blunt in a good way about things of just like ah that doesn't you know feel right so I, I know if like you can sense if I think with each other if one of us is getting itchy about something not feeling right you can feel it and then you know that like we got to kind of please each other and then you know that probably we're on the right path um, so it's it's hard to, to pinpoint what that relationship is like it's just i guess it's mostly a gut feeling you know of just like what's feeling right in the moment that's awesome and it sounds so collaborative it's almost like two hands molding the clay together and that's really cool i want to start with some of your uh, student work i actually uh, had a chance to uh, to look at it over the last little while and i'm watching hack job which is even on your imdb <laughs> it's the first thing on there and the one thing yeah. i really loved about it is and it, I, I don't know another way to put it but the restraint that is shown for some such an early project usually somebody wants to show off all their tricks wants to you know oh i'm gonna make this happen the gore's gonna happen this is gonna happen you just went all suspense all build and so what is that like to like like what is uh going like through the head when you're creating that that actually just allows you to just you know stay at that level and not be oh i'm gonna do all this crazy stuff which could have ruined the movie well I mean, thank you for asking about that. You've done a deep dive to go all the way back to Hack Chop, which, you know, strangely enough is actually that little short is something I'm still incredibly proud of. And and we will sometimes 
look at that because it has like that, you know, you, you see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not to compare myself to that or to this short, but there's a, what I always loved about that movie and a lot of those 70s and 80s horror films before the franchises like exploded was that rawness to those originals and just kind of that feeling that the filmmakers didn't have a lot of resources and there, you know, there were things that were in and out of focus and, and lighting that wasn't all glossy and perfect. So that style has always been something that I've been really interested in trying to like capture. And it's, it's hard to do on purpose because a lot of times that just happens, you know, accidentally, but with hack job. Yeah. I mean, that was a case of, we had a camera cause it was shot on 16 millimeter film and we had a camera and a bunch of short ends from a cinematography class in school, which is basically just like leftover bits from the bigger uh, reels of film that the other projects that were shooting, but then they'd cut off a little bit because, you know, leftover from the end of the shoot. And so we had a bunch of that lying around. We had a friend that like worked at a processing and telecine house so they could develop the film for us for cheap. So we kind of had some resources and we were just looking to go and make a short film of some kind. And to your point about restraint, uh, it's just always been something I'm kind of interested in. Like, you know, Hack Job is a killer doll movie, but it's a killer doll movie in a way that you have never seen before. And that's like the, that's what always interests me is, is not so much like, yes, you could do a traditional killer doll movie or a ghost movie or a slasher movie or whatever it is, but we've seen that. And so you're kind of just like, you know, swapping elements, but doing the same thing. So I've always been drawn to like doing the thing that's taking place over in the, the shadows of those other movies that we know and love, like something that's just kind of off the beaten path in a world that we already know. That, that's the stuff that's always interested me is, is kind of like when everyone else would go right, I'll, I'll go left. And there's plenty of room to make movies over in that space. Um, so that was kind of the thinking with hack job. It's like, cool. Like it's a killer doll. Or it was like a slasher where a guy, I think, because we made it right when Saw and Hostel were out. So we were, like, mm -hmm. getting sick of all the torture and weapons and <laughs> the sawing tables and all that stuff. And so we were like, well, what if a guy's setting up all of that stuff, but it's not yeah. for him to do the cutting. It's for something else. Yeah. Um, well, and what I found what cool about that, too, and this is a kind of uh, speaks to, you know, the budgetary side of it is you kind of allow people you know when you're showing item by item he's washing off that saw now i'm imagining mm -hmm. from a critical aspect what he's going to do with that saw so i'm basically writing my own gross scene for that mm -hmm. and you don't have to shoot it or deal with any of the effects or anything like that and then he's going to pull out the mm -hmm. next thing and i'm like oh that i don't know what that's going to do <laughs> and you just so <laughs> you just create like you you almost create a side movie in these moments because you have these moments where you really just stick on the thing and then you go to the reaction and you go back and you're just like and it it works in incredibly well oh well thank you yeah that's exactly what it is you know is like if you can get the audience to start to go down their own rabbit hole about what they're imagining is going to you know transpire then that's that's the best thing you know um while also still giving people enough to not be considered or classified as, as boring so when you're dealing with uh, your student films, Hack Job and uh, Crawl Lake, what things do you take from that experience, which is kind of, for for lack of a better term, a more sheltered experience, into 
making your own movies for yourself, not for a grade or anything like that? Like what, what experiences did you take from that, that you absolutely were, you know, I have to apply this to my career. Yeah. I mean, well, the weird thing is, is that the movies that my student films and the projects and hack job wasn't even for a grade crawl lake was technically, but (laughs) the stuff that I was choosing to do was so radically different than anybody else because, you know, most, if you've seen many student films, most of them deal with some kind of, you know, ridiculous drama, cliche kind of elements where someone's throwing a bottle against the wall or there's depression or a breakup or suicide. It's like everyone was always interested in that kind of stuff. And I was just the guy that was just telling people like my favorite movie was Critters. (laughs) You know, I was, I, I knew exactly what kind of stuff it was that that I was genuinely interested in. Um, so I was always making stuff for me, and it just happened to also then, you know, earn a grade. But they were really grading that stuff based on just, like, did you actually finish it, and did you light it? <laughs> like, yeah. It was pretty easy to pass. Um, but what it did teach me a lot about was, you know, just the crew aspect of things. And just, you know, I been making movies since I was a kid but they're with your family and your friends and you're doing it on your own time so you know film school you end up spending more money than you should on these student films that are ultimately never going to earn a dime or really do all that much for you but the learning experience of being around a crew and talking to actors um, and just coordinating everything and creating shot lists and then seeing how all of that stuff you know, comes together in the end, that was incredibly invaluable. And Crawl Lake was actually a huge production because when we made it, it was, I shot it, most people would shoot their student films like for a spring semester, for instance, when we would have, everything was due in May, most people would shoot their stuff in March or April and kind of wait to the end. Mm -hmm. And I did that in January because I'd spent all Christmas break preparing for it. So basically we had every student was there and they weren't being spread thin, being used as crew on other projects. So there were, everybody came to work on that and it was a huge crew. I mean, it was almost, it's probably a bigger crew than I've actually worked with since then, believe it or not. Um, So that was pretty terrifying. And that was the first time Kevin had worked as a cinematographer on anything. And he was, you know, and there's two cameras and at that level, you're worrying about exposing film and, you know, uh, those kinds of things. So it was a lot. I mean, it was a, it was a boot camp of just learning how to make movies. Um, but I would say I probably learned more on a technical level there than I was really learning, like, you know, on a, on a story level, maybe. Oh, very good. Uh, so am I reading right that you interned under Wes Craven? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I did. Uh, his production company was called Midnight Entertainment, and it was with Marianne Maddalena, who mm-hmm. produced many of the movies with him um, in his heyday and in the Scream series and all that stuff. And so after the success of all those, they formed their own little horror production company. And when they were doing the remakes, like Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the West, um, and a couple of other things they produced under that company. But yeah, long story short, I had a friend that was the only other kind of like horror friend and he was an intern there and then when he left he had introduced me to some of the people there and then they got me an internship there it was great yeah i mean i 
read a bunch of horror scripts and um and got to talk to Wes for a little bit one day and uh he wasn't in all that often so I wasn't you know like his assistant and working closely with him or anything like that but uh and you know looking at old like they had a lot of like old documents and stuff there from you know the Nightmare uh, on Elm Street series and just seeing old production books and stuff for that and a lot of horror uh, filmmakers like Sean Cunningham from Friday the 13th would oh, yeah. come through. So I was in heaven, you know, as a, a big horror fan. So it was really fun. And that was lasted for about four to six months or so. Oh, that's awesome. I was wondering that that's what I was wondering was kind of the expectation versus reality uh, in a situation like that, because I can picture almost the opposite thing happening. That would be my luck where it's like, Oh, it's my hero. It's like a hero. I'm going to do it. And then it's like, <laughs> and I, I was like, I literally washed people's cars and then they kicked me to the curb. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely a thing where you, you think you're going to, you know, especially if you, you know, built up a, a, a name for yourself or a reputation, right. Is that then you're going to be able to attract a lot of people to want to work for you for free. Mm-hmm. And then they actually are really just making coffee and doing a bunch of tasks that are not very glamorous at all. And they included that kind of stuff, but there was enough of the fun that would, you know, and it was a small little office and they would always hold meetings whenever people would come in writers or producers that they were working with they would hold those meetings in Wes's office and there was a, I'll never forget seeing this, but like he had a, a framed document on his wall, like right when you walked in the door and it was from Warner brothers or I forget which studio, but it was basically a rejection letter saying, no, thank you to the original nightmare uh, on Elm street script that he had submitted at the time. And so he, he had kept that and framed it in his office. And there was a scream mask in there. So every time they brought people in, I had to go, clean the office and dust it down and fluff the pillows and all that. But <laughs> while I'm in there, I'm kind of enjoying all the little trinkets and props and, and sort of uh, memorabilia that he had there. So it, it was a good little balance of doing the sort of like, you know, grunt work, but also getting to enjoy it a little bit. Oh, it's it, oh, just soaking in that environment is cool enough as it is. Actually, as you're saying that, I'm staring at a picture of me with Robert England. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I've, I met him... Uh, not last year, but the year pa- uh, the year before that at a comic con, and it was just a it was just a dream. He was such a cool guy. That's very funny because as I'm looking at my shelf, I also have a picture of Robert England. Uh, Are you on the other side of from, me? Um, I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine was at some. Uh, there was a I don't know if they still do it anymore. It's called the Chainsaw Award. It was like a horror awards show, kind of like the Oscars of horror, I guess. And I, like, basically faked my way into having a press pass there. So I got to go to, like, on the red carpet and pretend to be interviewing people. But then I pretended to interview Robert Englund. I don't even remember what I asked him because I was probably just nervous at the time. (laughs) That's that's way too cool. Um, (laughs) So I think now's the time in our timeline to uh, jump into Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. first off, I had read that it wasn't necessarily going to be about a Thanksgiving horror movie. Is that true? Well, I mean, kind of, we, Kevin and I had now made those shorts that we were talking about and we were kind of looking at like making a feature as the, the ultimate challenge to, you know, a couple of 19 year old film students. 
So we were just thinking like, oh, let's go make a feature film. You know, I'm from Ohio and from, you know, out in the country there and have we had acres of woods and stuff. So I was like, well, why don't we just go make a horror movie back in Ohio for whatever we can scrape together? And we were both, like I was saying earlier, like we're, our senses of humor are very similar. So we both loved, and I especially grew up watching Jack Frost and the Leprechaun movies. And Kevin was a huge fan of Chucky and, um, and Freddie, of course, as well. So we loved those talking villains and we loved the, the wisecracking one-liners. Um, and also the, the holiday, you know, aspect of stuff with, I even remember Uncle Sam, that kind of forgotten Fourth of July movie and the, <laughs> Um, so we basically, we're like, oh, let's go make a feature and let's make it a horror movie and it be a holiday horror movie we thought would be funny. And so what you're alluding to is that we really boiled it down to Easter and Thanksgiving were the only two holidays that really hadn't been addressed, uh, in a horror film. And so we knew it was going to be one of those two things. And we just, I don't think we really spent much time to be honest talking about the Easter version because I think the thought of a uh, turkey that would talk like Cartman was, was the basic <laughs> approach. Cartman meets Freddy was kind of the like approach. And it's, that, that was just infinitely funnier than a, a bunny or is it a guy in a costume? Like we didn't, the Easter bunny wasn't as easy of a, like just, it didn't come to us as fast as killer turkey. Yeah. Um, so we Thanksgiving was the choice, you know, very early on. Is there ever a spot where it makes you kind of like think back and go, hey, maybe, you know, maybe one day when we're in the mood, maybe revisit another holiday one? Or have you kind of gotten past that now? You've, you've I've done my Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I'm... I think, I mean, I don't know. At the same time, I love seeing like Krampus or Trick or Treat or some of the more like recent ones mm -hmm. that have come out. Um I still love the holiday horror film and you know, we're sitting here talking about it 10 years after it's come out. This is its 10 year anniversary really. And, uh, because the holiday thing, you know, it kind of just it becomes this annual tradition for a lot of people. So that's pretty cool. I mean, there's always something special about revisiting your favorite holiday movie every season. It, it just, I guess it reminds you of your childhood and you want to show it to your, kids or your friends and whatever so i don't know there's something pretty cool I, i've enjoyed the process of, of ha contributing our little slice to that sort of holiday world but uh i can't imagine doing it now or anytime soon and it just kind of feels like we did our thing and we we left our mark in our own way and um i don't i don't foresee myself you know wanting to do another holiday thing but it would be i'd be open to it if something you know the right thing came along or the right opportunity we'll just jump right into the opening scene <laughs> then i think yeah <laughs> this is i i'll give you a little background on uh my seeing thanks killing uh, my wife and i very often uh well back in the day because we're old enough we would go to the video store and be uh you know look for those movies right we found our jack frosts and our uh slumber yep. party yep. massacres and all those great ones yep. and we fall, uh, came across it on netflix and literally from from the cover, there was a lot of, oh, what's this one? What's this about? Ah, that doesn't really sound like something I want to do. Saw the cover and my wife literally said, play it, play it, play it. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was just where it's gone. And we have introduced this movie 
to so many of our friends. I actually introduced it to Todd, my co-host, who is literally the angriest I've ever seen him that he wasn't going to be here for the actual interview. Oh no! Because I when we uh, when we worked it out and when I had thought about it and that he let me know just at that last minute that he was going to be away for three weeks for his job. So when I told him, when I told him that you had agreed to the interview, his exact uh, response to me was fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll, we can fake that this didn't happen and do it again. Yeah. Uh, Oh Oh, no, he'll, he'll be thrilled to hear that. Uh, But it wouldn't be the first time we've had to re-record something too. But, (laughs) Uh, so yeah, so we go to that opening scene. So I'm sitting next to my wife and then Wanda Lust's breasts appear on the screen. Yep. And that's, uh, that's exactly it. And I mean, again, you're still, you're still in like, you're in college or just coming out like just, yeah. yeah, So no, I'm in, we are in college. So that was, that's like a special, you know, set of balls uh, on a, on a college student making a feature film to go, we're going to open with breasts and we're going to cast a porn star to do it. So how did you uh, reach out to her first off? Uh, I mean, well, so the interesting thing about that opening scene is that we didn't shoot that when, yeah, because we made Thanksgiving during our summer break between our junior and senior years in college. Mm-hmm. And it was, we shot it in 11 days back in Ohio. But we did not have the opening she- uh, scene shot yet because we originally, in the script, it says, I believe it's a, the, it takes place in the past at some kind of a Native American village. And there's, kind of, there's a, a Native, you know, tribal leader a tribe leader who resurrects the turkey using some kind of, you know, black magic or something very cheesy uh, <laughs> in the woods. And then the turkey kills somebody there. But basically, we didn't even have enough money to afford, like, big Indian headdresses and costumes and all that stuff. So we left Ohio without an opening scene. And we – it was my brother. I give him credit, my brother Mike, for – having the idea of opening up on a nipple basically because he was just like you guys have already made the most ridiculous movie ever just go, just give people exactly like let people know in the first frame of this movie what you're getting in for and we thought it was brilliant because he was right like that is the best way to tell people exactly what your what kind of a movie you're in for mm-hmm. you know this is meant to be a total joke so uh we filmed the, the scene with Wanda Lust in California once we came back to school. I don't even remember when it was, but months after the fact. Yeah. And we found her just on Craigslist. We just were looking for somebody who was willing to do topless. I mean, if I had that original post, I probably would read it out loud. It would be hilarious. But um, the it was just we were posting on Craigslist looking for, you know, actress, adult film actress or somebody willing to be topless. We didn't care if they were a porn star. It didn't. That didn't matter to us. And we maybe got two responses. But I think it was we only got one, and it was Wanda, and she was game for it. And compared to the other stuff that she does, this was tame. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, that- and then, uh, yeah, but <laughs> it was it was funny and awkward. She had brought a few friends, and my younger brother was actually there. And it was just me and Kevin and my brother Caleb and we were out in the woods at some public park. We didn't have a permit. We were just out there not really knowing what we were getting into. And, and Wanda and her friends came and they were all super nice and friendly, but you know, she gets in the pilgrim costume in a bathroom 
and then eventually it comes time to just be like, okay, uh, can you hold the top down and let's let's start shooting? And so that was it was as awkward but also hilarious as you'd expect. And she thought it was all funny too, so it wasn't really like you know tense or anything. Yeah, well, she seemed to she must have enjoyed the experience enough because of course she shows up in Thanks Killing Three. That's correct. Yeah, she's the only recurring character besides us as voices yeah. um, for Thanks Killing 3, yeah. And she had said, because I didn't keep in touch with her really between the movies, but she said that people, she had like a website and um, at one point her email or phone number or something was up there and she'd get people calling her about it all the time. So she she had some funny stories about, you know, interacting with different fans um, from Thanks Killing. Wonderful. The, uh, uh, the next thing I want to ask about is just Turkey himself. Uh, as mm-hmm. I was doing my research, well, not even doing my research, I usually, I see a movie I like, I start looking up the trivia on it immediately because I'm that brand yeah. nerd. And, Me too. And so, and the first thing I find out is not only did you perform the voice of Turkey, but you made and performed the puppet. Yeah. As well. And yeah. where did you... Uh, get that skill set from is that is that a part of something you did in film school or is it just something you're like you know what i'm going to figure it out and no it was because well i mean i grew up making my own movies but i was also really interested in special effects so like as a kid i knew i wanted to work in the film business but i didn't know maybe if i would be a, a writer or a producer or a director or if i would be a special effects artist it was kind of between the two things and so I did a lot of like, you know, whenever the Halloween stores would pop up at, you know, the seasonal stores, I would buy up all kinds of masks and the fake blood and the and latex and all that stuff. And I was always playing around with it. And then in college, I was kind of the horror guy who knew special effects. And I would, and now that I was in LA, there was this awesome special effects store out in Burbank where I, you could buy all kinds of crazy, you know, professional supplies that you don't just get at your typical local Halloween shop. So I would start to just teach myself uh, effects on student film. And for my student film, Crawl Lake, which we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. there's these lake creatures in there and I needed to create a lake creature and it would have been too expensive to hire some professional. So I bought this mask making kit online and taught myself how to sculpt and how to create a mold and then how to pour latex and airbrush it and all that stuff. So I basically self-taught, you know, I, I was self-taught with that kind of uh, mask making technique for a student film. And then I had a lot of leftover supplies. So I knew I can, I could make a turkey. So I sketched him up and the basic concept was like, um, you know, a real turkey is not, if you really look at them, they're not very scary mm-hmm. or threatening at all. And they have that big, you know, drape, drooping snood, that like flap of skin that comes off of the beak. And you wouldn't, it doesn't feel like a character that would talk. So mm-hmm. I looked at vultures more than real turkeys. And then also the Skeksis from Dark Crystal were a huge inspiration i um, saw a lot of that in that actually um my friend yeah. brought that up to me and then in uh part three i thought the exact same thing too in seeing like the elder <laughs> exactly yeah yep. that's brilliant um exactly. so you... that was that was the inspiration for the design awesome were you always planning on voicing turkey or was that something that just kind of fell into place 
Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. No, I mean, because we weren't, I was going to always puppeteer it just because we weren't going to have enough hands around that were going to be on set that could actually do it. Mm -hmm. So that was always going to just be part of it. But I think what happened is honestly, we were, while making it then I started giving him this voice, this, you know, kind of my version of Freddy Krueger, you know, um, my, if I was trying to be a Robert England kind of Freddy voice, then that's what it kind of was. And on set, I just started doing Turkey and to perform with the actors. Um, and then I think what kind of happened is a couple of things. One, it kind of just got stuck. Like that's just the voice. We started editing to that audio and that was the audio wasn't, I wasn't mic'd up because we weren't planning on keeping the audio. But while editing, it would, you know, you'd still pick up the turkey voice on the other mics that were around set. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just got used to it as we were putting the movie together. And I had talked over because some of the scenes were just kind of, you know, messing around and improvising. And so I think I had talked over some of the actors lines and we were they were all in Ohio. and We were in California. and It wasn't the kind of movie where we were going to go and get them to re-record lines. <laughs> so. It was twofold. It was kind of just like we got used to that being the voice and the there was a sort of a technical difficulty of like I was talking over some of the actors lines and it would have been technically difficult to remove my voice from it and to put another actor in there. So then we ended up re-recording all of the turkey lines and then pitched it down a little bit. And then that, yeah, that became the, the actual voice. But it wasn't a plan. No, I mean, we we joked about because Ginger Dead Man had come out and they had Gary Busey play oh, Ginger Dead Man. So yeah. we we were joking about, oh, maybe we'll get, you know, Gilbert Gottfried or some other, you know, uh, sort oh. of the actor to do the turkey voice. Uh, I, I'm for what it's worth. I'm glad you didn't get Gilbert Gottfried as much as I love Gilbert <laughs> Gottfried. My wife would have made me turn it yeah. off and then we never would. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah, he <laughs> probably would have been a little. <laughs> annoying and i think i think he was doing the Affleck duck so we were like oh that's great everyone would know him from that he's um, yeah that would be the third bird he'd play <laughs> he's played in, yeah, like, on screen <laughs> uh um exactly so how important was it to you uh to insert uh so many of the horror tropes into the movie, the way the characters, the uh, you have like the the character types are spot on. Having a curse, having all, all yeah. these moments, uh, the figure out how to beat him montage, and all these types of things. Uh, <laughs> how, were were you guys sitting down and kind of brainstorming like how many of them you could like reasonably fit in? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always going to be silly by nature and a spoof of those kinds of movies done in a really cheap and, you know, terrible sort of way. Um, so yeah, we were like, but I, but Kevin did a lot of the writing because I think I was busy, you know, with schoolwork or something at the time, but he did, he wrote the first draft of Thanksgiving. And then we had other friends kind of like giving us jokes and notes and writing on it with us. So I think Kevin, I mean, he's a, he's a big horror fan, but not to the degree as I was. So I think it actually helped because he, his knowledge of horror films was not as like deep as mine. So he was looking at it kind of on like, okay, there's 
like you said, there's going to be the planning, and then they usually go to a library, or they go look at microfilm at some old newspaper article or whatever, or they, you know, all of those cliche things. Um, and the, the biggest one, which is the funniest part of the whole movie, I think, is the, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the face being removed and nobody recognizes the turkey, um, that kind of spoof. Uh, the kids around the campfire... But yeah, we were super aware of like all the horror tropes and that we were going to just do all of them, but then make fun of it, you know, along the way. And a great example of that is the they're sitting around the campfire and, you know, usually in these movies, it's like, you know, how inconvenient is it that our heroes, it's like the curse that happens every 500 years or whatever the cycle is, always happens to these characters. And it's like so convenient that it's right now. And so I think we said something about like, you know, it's been 505 years, but it's you know, it won't, it, it, it's 20 minutes away from being, from the, from the date coming. So that, it's, yeah, 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 we, we were very aware of what we were doing. That's great. Well, and you know what, I, I just from even personal knowledge of similar things I've done, I know that just watching the movie, you can tell it's not disdain for the genre it is it's so much love for the genre that those things get included i remember uh, making horror movies myself in high school and college i I did go to film school and tell and tv school in college ended up on the tv side but uh in high school we made a movie and literally the first thing that happened they're watching night of the living dead and the first thing that happens is somebody uh, one of the projectionists there's two projectionists for some reason and we and he just goes says to the other one thank god something like this can't happen here and you know cut to this happening here type thing and it's just and it's just we had all of those moments and we just had you, you know the the gruff fixer and all, and all those kinds of things that it was just yeah. out of everybody's collective love creates these just insane moments and these insane characters. And it's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is. And I think if you're an audience member watching along for that kind of stuff, you're kind of on one level, you hopefully can just enjoy the movie, whether you're laughing with it or at it, <laughs> but you also then can start to spot all of the other little cliches and that are planted and that are being picked apart and it kind of makes you that much more aware of how ridiculous and convoluted most horror films actually are that even even the ones that are great of course uh, my next question uh, is about just simply general bastard how does uh, <laughs> how does general bastard come become a part of this movie well ryan francis who plays darren Mm-hmm. is a huge part of, you know, a, a bigger part of Thanksgiving than just being in it because mm-hmm. he was the first, well, first of all, I went to high school with him. So oh, we okay. were friends from, you know, middle school through high school. And we did theater together. He was an actor and me more like, you know, uh, doing lights and sound and stuff. But he and I would always get together on the weekends and watch these terrible horror movies just like Thanksgiving. And so when we had the script for this movie, I called up Ryan and said, Hey, one, we read this and I want you to be in it. But then, you know, will you help us just like, what do we do? Um, who should we go and cast? Cause I was just thinking of people that I went to school with or people that were, you know, local, um, in my small town who could be in it. So Ryan, once we got to Ohio, uh, and, uh, the actor who played Billy was actually Ryan's best friend in high school as well. They were really best friends in real life. And I was friends with him too. 
So long story short, Ryan knew General Bastard because he was General Bastard, whose real name is Dean. He was, uh, well, his stage name is General Bastard. Mm-hmm. And he kind of wears this like luchador mask and, he, and, and camouflage. And if you look him up online, you can see his music and his stage presence and all that. I saw some of it last night. Of, you did? Okay. Yeah. So, you know you know the gist of it and uh and it's it's fun to watch like he's got a cool like he's he's a fun character mm-hmm. um but we didn't really want the guy with a mask and camouflage in the movie but Ryan was like hey I know this guy cuz Ryan was in a punk rock band and he told us hey I know a guy who's in Detroit he has long hair he uh he might be perfect to you know without saying so like he might be the perfect hermit kind of guy Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he put us in touch, and he asked him, and yeah, he Dean drove down, you know, a six hour drive or so to get down to us, and stayed. Uh, we put him up in a hotel for a couple of days, and he shot all of his stuff in just a few days. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't around too much, but yeah, we found him through Ryan Francis. No, oh, that's uh, great. We had known him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was so perfect for it. it one of our first comments about it was, I think he just wandered onto set. Yeah. <laughs> he he might not know. Yeah. He might not know he's being filmed. Yeah. No, I mean, he had no acting experience. Yeah. I've been, most of the people, you know, weren't really actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that outfit that we put him in just made him look, you know, so grungy and, and borderline homeless. Yeah. Um, but, but he was a good guy and, you know, just, had a good time doing it. <laughs> I don't know if half the people knew what they were getting into. I mean, I certainly don't think they ever thought Thanksgiving would become uh, something that anybody had watched or was a fan of or that we'd be talking about 10 years later. For sure. Uh, the next scene I need to discuss, and I'm sure it's not the first time you've been asked about it, uh, but of course it's the line that uh, brings in probably, or the scene that brings in probably the best line in the movie. You just got stuffed. Uh, The turkey sex scene. Uh, It was, it was very funny because actually as the scene was beginning, it had occurred to me that this is a movie, you know, along these lines that had not had a sex scene yet. And I was like, Oh, that kind of blows my mind. And like here, and then this scene starts and then where it goes is just so out of this world and like so what was the what was the genesis behind that was it just we have to like just the image in your head was just too much to deny well yeah i mean it was like you know how could you make a horror movie without the the notorious sex scene and i think the jack frost shower scene was a big inspiration i think because he like she's showering and he goes in and kind of like the snow consumes her and uh, he has some one-liner about, I don't even remember what he said, but that scene was just in our minds about like all of these, there's always the shower scene or the nudity. And so we felt like we had to have that. Um, but I don't remember like how we came up with the idea for the scene. I think it was Kevin and I just kind of talking about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were never not going to shoot it because it was so ridiculous and we didn't, you know, think that it was offensive or anything like that. We just thought it was hilarious and ridiculous. And the way it was handled, like a clothes sex scene is even more ridiculous. (laughs) And the way that in Turkey saying you just got stuff. Yeah. I mean, 
some of those one-liners, once we started to come up with them, we were just like, that's too funny and iconic to not put it, to not actually go through with shooting the scene. Um, It it was so funny because... I was gonna say it's so funny because as it was building up, we're having that moment. We're like, "It's not gonna happen!" No, oh my god, it's happening! (laughs) Like almost (laughs) like high fives occurring. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for for someone to not notice the swap, and then for Turkey to, and I mean, in filming it was ridiculous uh, (laughs) because Natasha really didn't want to do it. No, Uh, and I don't blame her. You know, it's awkward and it's it's weird um and she so like we knew that like finding somebody who was going to be fully nude for that scene was going to be tricky and in the end we didn't really care because it didn't really distract from just the the ridiculousness of the final punchline um but uh but then she you know understood the the joke of it and we we all became friends throughout making the thing so we were you know, I think we filmed that closer towards towards the end. But for the close-ups and stuff, it wasn't really the turkey puppet. Like, it, there was, like, pillows that we had kind of made a fake. We put her wardrobe on sort of these pillows that we mocked up to look like a dummy. So it was just me and Kevin with the turkey puppet uh, in the bedroom. There wasn't really Natasha there. So we made it as, like, comfortable and, and light-hearted as possible. But, um, yeah, it was just, like I said, it was just too ridiculous not put into the movie and yeah it's you know become one of the most you know memorable scenes of the whole thing oh absolutely and but I, we lead to uh shortly thereafter my favorite sequence of the movie uh first part of it is the turkey sitting down with the sheriff and their awkward conversation <laughs> in the kitchen yeah i yeah. i will not lie i laughed through the entire just the concept of it made me laugh as hard as i laugh in the entire movie just they're sitting there yeah. and there's tea and i've got tears rolling down my eyes and then it leads to <laughs> just what like there's some level like i always i kept thinking about it as i was watching it i'm like how far were they willing to go with how oblivious the teens were that the sheriff was now a two foot tall uh, bird shaped human. <laughs> so yeah, like where, where did you like decide to go there? Did you just decide to go all out right off the bat or did you kind of like get to a point and go, Oh God, no, I, I, the audience isn't going to buy into this. <laughs> no, I mean that, that hazelnut scene was, mostly improvised like where they're talking about hazelnut and how old are you and because turkey says i forget what he says something about like are you says fuck about something but i forget what line and then he says you're too you know you're not old enough to say fuck yeah that whole thing was improvised and we were i mean we, we held it together for the take but afterwards we were all in tears so it it's nice to hear that that was your reaction too, because it was all of our reaction there while making it. We were laughing so hard. Chuck, who played the sheriff, and <laughs> me and Kevin, everyone else, the whole crew and cast is there, you know, watching because we've been filming all day. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I think, I don't remember where the idea came from because it's not, I mean, the leather face ripping of the face is very much a nod to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but <laughs> the like, costume contest i don't remember exactly what that's come from except that just a lot of horror movies have that 
the kids are coming back from break or something and the parents are kind of up to some activity that night. And like, there's kind of this little B story of what the parents are preparing to do, um, to go out on the town or something. So we like the costume thing. And I think just the idea of swapping identities was really funny to us that at one point the human would be in a turkey suit and the turkey would be in a, a human suit, which is just the Groucho Marx glasses. Yeah. Um, but no, we knew it was going to be totally ludicrous and silly and absolutely ridiculous. And like I said, like we were both very big fans of uh, South Park and Family Guy. And so it was just that total like cartoony sort of nature was a part of it. We didn't really care about like people <laughs> buying into this or not. We wanted it to be as ludicrous as possible to just go further than you think we would ever go oh. um, with all of that stuff. But those scenes were... As those probably my, you know, favorite uh, scenes or sequences of the whole movie is that stuff there at that table. Mm -hmm. And it leads to even more craziness, like the turkeyologists, and then two of yeah. two of the funniest <laughs> montages I've seen in a movie like this. Uh, the reading montage <laughs> was hilarious, and then the best friend montage following oh, yeah. Billy's death is just. Yeah. It's out of this world, and uh, what like what made you kind of come with that? Because I know that like that's not so much a you know a horror trope in and of itself, but like the I think the reading montage really uh, dips into that because there's always like we have to find some way to kill him. Well, there's some right. person, there's some whatever, but then that best friend montage was such like such a left hook that I was just I again I was just laughing my head off. Yeah, it, well, it, it <laughs> I kind of had forgotten about the best friend montage until you just brought that up, even though that was, that was originally, it, well, it's Kevin singing it right now, but it was originally me singing it, and we, but yeah, the montage stuff was just like, yeah, there's always some, you know, a bad, a bad movie should have a bad montage, so let's, let's create a bad montage, <laughs> just in the garage at my mom's house where we were filming this and we we're like, we didn't have this nice library where you'd imagine they'd go and have all these books. It just keeps boxes of books around in the garage. And that book, the turkeyologist or how to kill a demon Turkey, I think is what it was called. This yeah. Horrible Photoshop job that we made and printed it out and then kind of glued it on top of cardboard. The book looks horrible. The prop, I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know like where <laughs> some of this stuff came from besides just us sitting there coming up with crazy stuff and laughing and uh, and thinking what would be, you know, funny. What would we like to see? Um, the best friend Billy montage was just we liked the idea of there being some kind of a musical number, mm -hmm. but we didn't have the lyrics and the idea of there being like a singer over top of it. I think it was just let's we're just going to go and have this montage like where his friend is has di died. And then we're going to see flashbacks of them, you know, hanging out at the park and the playground and just doing absolutely ridiculous stuff. Um, and again, I think that was a South park kind of a thing or like their first movie, their first um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone's first movie, not cannibal Holocaust, Mondo Holocausto. I think it was, I forget what it was called. It was the trauma. Their first trauma movie has mm -hmm. these musical numbers in it that are really funny. Um, and maybe, you know what else? I think there was at the time SNL had 
uh, Lonely Island, and they had a lot of uh, musical numbers and weird stuff. And I think Flight of the Concords is out too. So we were kind of like really watching a lot of those spooky uh, musical montages, and that was probably on our mind. Um, but you know, filming it was just fun. It was just a couple of us with the camera out at these parks and. Ryan and Carl, you know, pushing each other on the swings and the slides and, and, and having fun. And then, you know, where it really cheeses up is just with those cross dissolve. Um, but with that one, yeah. So I remember then in, and when we were editing it, we just needed a really cheesy piece of music over top of it. And I forget what we found. It was some royalty free thing that we ended up finding. And while that was playing on loop, I kind of just started like joking around and kind of like singing a tune to it. Um, and then it was, it kind of just started to stick and we were like, Oh, this is hilarious. There should be this like godlike voice that just comes in and sings this song out of nowhere. And, and then Kevin ended up doing the singing, uh, of the song. Um, and, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a classic moment. Uh, it really, really is. And I mean, you go through, we, we end this movie, you obviously you put up that, uh, that, uh, graphic at the end, which I was, I'm assuming was never meant to be serious, but you're to be continued in space. Uh, again, oh, yeah. just dipping into more stuff. Uh, yep. how surprised then? So you just finally decide to make another Thanksgiving and how surprised mm -hmm. were you that it did as well as it did with uh, Kickstarter? It was at the time anyways, one of the highest uh, supported Kickstarters for a film. Am I right? Yeah, it was. The, well, it was the, it was the highest supported horror film at the time. Okay. I don't know where it stood in the grand scheme of things, but it was pretty early on in the Kickstarter days before, um, you know, now it's probably people are raising, I'm sure the top stuff is millions of dollars that people have raised. Um, but, I mean, we were mildly serious about the space uh, to be continued in space. Obviously, if you're a horror fan, you know what we're talking about with Jason and Leprechaun and uh, all that kind of stuff. Hellraiser. Um, Carnistore, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, we, but we weren't ever, you know, we made Thanksgiving and then it took two more years of editing it and putting it out there that by the time it came out and then started to like find a little bit of a fan base, it was probably four years after we had made it and we were writing other things and trying to make other projects. And so the thought of making a sequel wasn't really a thing for us. But once we started to see that like, Hey, there's actually people who are really enjoying this. Like maybe we should make another sequel we didn't really want to go and just do the same. We didn't want to just do what we said we were going to do, mm -hmm. which is go to space. And we didn't want to just rehash the same thing about, you know, uh, turkey killing, you know, college yeah. kids in the woods. So we were kind of trying to think outside the box, which in retrospect, way more people enjoy the first one than the, than the third one. And maybe we should have actually stayed close to the vest and done something more like the first or have just gone and done the, the space sequel that we were teasing. Yeah. But we, we really liked the idea of skipping to part three early mm -hmm. on. It was just like, because why not? Like there wasn't, you know, there was no reason we weren't answering to anybody. So we loved the idea of just doing something radical and, and, and that we felt like too, 
you know, in this day and age, it's hard to make a movie and then find an audience. And we just thought that was a fun marketing sort of ploy that would get attention to it. Uh, well, and I'll tell you it. Dying. I was going to say, I'll tell you, it worked because I literally, I saw there was a three and I'm like, oh, where's two? And I started looking and then I figured out what the deal was. And I'm like, oh, you smart assholes. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was wonderful. It was, uh, it, it was good. Uh, the, the twist on it, they trying to find thanks killing too. I thought it was a brilliant idea. Oh, well, good. I mean, they, they actually, it, that idea had been, although we didn't know about this at the time. Spaceballs somewhere there's something mm-hmm. Spaceballs search for Spaceballs 2 or whatever I forget yeah. how the joke exactly goes I'd seen Spaceballs but just that joke you know, <laughs> didn't really register with me so it felt like okay cool let's do something that's never done been, been done before but and I'm not to be honest a huge fan of the meta kind of like movie and a movie mm-hmm. stories like that kind of stuff usually movies about Hollywood or movie making kind of take me out of it so it's it's odd that that was what we decided to do but um really our inspiration was um you know turkey was our favorite character and thing about the first movie and that was kind of okay the villain is what you would you know build a, a sequel or a franchise around and we really like we also are huge fans of of puppet stuff i mean i grew up loving sesame street and the muppets and Dark Crystal and Labyrinth were huge. The, the darker kind of Jim Henson stuff, I loved that. But yeah. I also was really obsessed with um, Wonder Shows in and TV Funhouse, which were just these like kind of R-rated, raunchy puppets. And oh, Meet yeah. the Feebles, Peter Jackson. Um, and no one – and puppets were kind of not really around. There wasn't anything going on at the time with puppets. So mm-hmm. we were really inspired to just go and – and up the ante with puppets and, and make a puppet protagonist mm-hmm. in a movie that you wouldn't expect and basically just do the most unexpected thing for Thanksgiving 3. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the answer to your point about the Kickstarter, yeah, we were super, you know, humbled and, and, and excited that people did uh, help out as much as they did, you know, mm-hmm. for us to get that. That's really cool. If you had a fan come up to you and tell you that they loved Thanks Killing, but didn't know about Thanks Killing Three. What would you tell them to prepare them for that movie? <laughs> I mean, I just I would just tell them like, look, it's going to be a uh, you know an an acid trip uh, <laughs> with puppets. Like, it, and that's really what I mean. If you there's an opening logo in Thanks Killing Three for a fake company called Tryptodyne, yeah, which was. Tryptophan meets Cyberdyne from Terminator. It's <laughs> not that genius. And the that, idea yeah. of like tryptophan, the drug that puts you to sleep in Turkey, uh, <laughs> or not the drug, but you know, the, the chemical compound in Turkey that you mm. get, that the idea of doing the exact opposite of like making that a hallucinatory experience. And so that opening logo, the company logo is a needle going into an arm. And look, Kevin and I are not acid and drug users. We're just, you know, having fun with this stuff. It's not, we're yeah. not actually speaking from experience here. <laughs> and then the final logo at the end of the film is the same tryptodyne logo, but the needle has been removed from the arm. So we were, I guess like what, you know, with Mandy, like that kind of an experience that's just like, you're going to go on a crazy hallucination ride, but there's going to be puppets. 
<laughs> and it's going to be raunchy and R-rated and unlike anything, hopefully, that you've seen before. Mm-hmm. But hopefully there's some characters and, and heart in it, too. So I would just tell people get get prepared for, you know, a, a puppet hallucination, probably. Yeah. And I'll tell you, so you come out of that movie and it's one of those things you think, you know, a person. And then I watch uh, the next thing I see from you is your Critters fan film, which was so beautifully shot. And oh, thank you. it was and blew my mind. I started watching the uh, during my research. I started watching the. Uh, featurettes about it. I had only seen the fan film and I just flat out thought you got one of the critters. I did not know you made one yourself and I was blown away by how like proper it was. It it looked like you just went to a, like a prop house and got one of the critters out and cleaned it up and put it on film. Oh, well, thank you. I mean that look, that, that little fan film, well, Critters is my favorite movie mm-hmm. of all time, and that and it is a huge reason why I'm a filmmaker um, and a horror fan in general. Just because that movie was the first one that I just would watch over and over again, and really start to like pause, you know, and think about like the costumes and the lighting and how they made those gun barrels move and the critter effects and the talking and like just the first thing you start to study. I'm sure you you know, had a bunch of those yourself, you know, if you went to film school and just that stuff that you like loved as a kid that changed your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that for me was the Critters film. And so, yeah, when the, when I read online that they were going to make this web series, I was like, I got to do something, you know, that I I have to be a part of this Mm -hmm. franchise somehow or try and like put my name into the hat. So that was the, the, the backbone of why I made the short film. And then the puppet itself was made by Troy Smith, who had done all the puppet work for Thanksgiving 3. And he had done the special effects on Thanksgiving 1, but he didn't make the turkey puppet because I had made it before we had met. Mm-hmm. But he did like the, the leather face mask and some of those other elements. And I thought originally when I was going to make this Critters short, I thought about reaching out to the Kyoto brothers and asking, like, do you guys have a puppet that's in storage that I could use? But I just felt like that would ultimately be, even if they did and if they were nice enough to lend it, mm-hmm. it would ultimately be just too many hurdles to go through in such a short amount of time. And, and I didn't want to ask somebody to, hey, do you have your prize, you know, 30-year-old puppet <laughs> that you're going to give to some like guy that you don't know to go and shoot in his house in the, the woods with? So yeah. that, hey, was, that wasn't really an option. Um, yeah, but like, hey, George, made it. Hey, George, can yeah. I borrow that Yoda? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, hey, yeah. George, can I borrow the Yoda? I want to make a fan film. Like, yeah, <laughs> maybe not quite on that level, but, you know, Yoda and the Critters are equal in my book. Um, and, uh, but yeah, Troy didn't have much time to do that, and he did a great job sculpting it, and then we had some trouble getting the hair just right, and so we went through a couple different trials and some of this, like you said, those featurettes that are on my YouTube channel kind of talk through all of that process. Um, and it's just a standard hand puppet, you know, the ones from the movies had a different animatronic mechanism so that the lips could kind of quiver and the eyebrows could raise and the the eyes could blink, Mm -hmm. the forehead could move and all that kind of stuff. And ours looks there's only a, a shot where it kind of looks pretty like dead and, and static and rubbery but for the most part we were able to kevin did a great job of lighting it so that it really felt 
alive and real and like an animal there for you know a short amount of time oh the scene where he attacks him it looks gorgeous it's it, it yeah. was it was spot on i i wouldn't have even thought about the animatronics once when i was looking at that um oh nice yeah well what... yeah it was yeah it was a lot of fun to make and that was i remember that scene when we started shooting it um because it was me and the bounty hunter suit once again didn't have enough people around so i'm just doing it myself but um the yeah, that that attack scene, I remember seeing like the monitor or the playback of that. And I was so, it was surreal because it was like, that feels like it's straight out of a Critters movie. And we hadn't seen Critters in 30 years. So it just mm-hmm. felt so cool to see a, a Critter back on screen, whether it was a fan film or not. It was just cool for me to see that. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, you said in uh, one of your featurettes that when you were uh, doing your student films you had asked Don Hopper and Lynn Shea to be involved and all I could think it was surely out of film school jealousy is what motivated you to take like such big swings I know you're in LA and it's probably like you you have maybe it's a little bit easier access than St. Catharines Ontario Canada but like but like were you just motivated surely by love of the film or just that you know you just kind of had that confidence in you of I can get somebody real to do this a a little of both I mean part of me was just like why not like let's do this like let's try and get I want to be the first student film that I had heard of I'm sure others have pulled it off but I wanted to be the first student film to go and get you know some of uh, bigger and better you know name actors than just you know your friends or the local you know student actors um so yeah I wrote a bunch of people about it uh to try and get them to be in um in both of the student films and Lynn Shea called me back out of the blue that was that was awesome and and surprising and because I would probably just I was submitting a letter to maybe their agent i would just mail something to their agency and i would leave my contact info on it um most times you know i wouldn't hear anything but the few a few people did respond lynn shea was one of them and she called and just to say basically like hey i'm busy but i really am flattered that you would ask me to do this um and best of luck on your student film and there's always been a part of me that too feels like those I guess, yeah, I guess a part of me feels like I want to give back to the people that inspired me when I was younger and when I was, you know, just a kid watching these horror films. And even though I wasn't, I mean, granted, but that was kind of a naive way of thinking in film school because what am I giving back to these actors by not paying them to be in a student film? So, <laughs> but in my mind, it was, <laughs> in my mind, it was sort of like, well, I want to, not just be a fan of yours anymore. I want to work with you. Like I really, you know, like Don Opper, I really actually think that you did a very good job in these movies and he wasn't doing anything else. And, um, so I did, I did hear from them and it was, that was cool. Um, and, uh, they certainly didn't, you know, have to respond, but they did. So it meant a lot at the time. Well, and in a, in a positive way too, which is nice because those can definitely put a, uh, a damper on the things you love when they tell you if, if you would have received that call and it was go screw yourself, kid. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, yeah. The opposite mm-hmm. could have happened, right. Where they, where it, it tainted, um, you know, my view of them and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
yeah, it was just, it was kind of, it, it was kind of bold, but you know, you'd be surprised sometimes, like if you just ask, like, you know, what mm-hmm. people would say. For sure. Uh, something else you had mentioned too, is uh, you, just kind of your affinity for covers, these movie, uh, this, the movie cover art and stuff like that. And how important was mm-hmm. it for you in, with your covers? Uh, like thanks killing three is one of the craziest covers I've ever seen. And I, but I picture it being right there on a VHS rack at a video store next to ghoulies mm-hmm. and all these other things. It just, it belongs there. And then again, even headhunters is just, a, or the headhunter, sorry, is just beautifully like a beautifully photographed thing. And it's a very uh, potent image. So how important was it for you to nail those covers? Super important. I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with the marketing Mm -hmm. side of, of filmmaking and, uh, because those covers, as you say, uh, you know, something like ghoulies coming out of the toilet like that, those images are ingrained in your head and they're so simple. It's just a photo that's staged with some, you know, bad lighting. It's not all touched up like everything is nowadays or a Photoshop job. But so the Thanksgiving, like somewhere along the process of making student films and Thanksgiving, we taught ourselves Photoshop. And so I got good at Photoshop enough to be able to like implement it some on these projects. And so like the Thanksgiving poster, we designed ourselves just so that we could control, you know, what that would be. And and the iconic, just the turkey face or something very simple, a simple image. Mm-hmm. And the Thanksgiving 3 poster, we hired a guy named Ralph Krauss to do that because we've seen some of his other kind of like 80s stylized uh, look, that sort of like old retro look. And so we wanted um, we wanted that look. And so we got him to do that. And it, and it is awesome. You know, everything's glowing and it just feels like, a crazy movie that you cannot imagine what you're going to get. So that worked out perfect. Um, and then the headhunter was another case of us doing that poster ourselves, mm-hmm. um, taking the still of the character in Portugal. And then like the, that poster specifically, the sword that's on his back in the poster, that sword is never, he never has a sword on his back in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, nowadays you're trying to design stuff and think about things for streaming services, which is basically, you know, you're not making these indie film stuff. It's not going to go on billboards and rarely is it even going to be at poster size in a movie theater. It's going to be designed for three inches basically on your computer or tablet screen. So we basically designed that poster with a full body image of the character standing in an open field and started to shrink it down to like, most of the Photoshop work I was always working a lot of times we'd shrink it down to three or four inches tall because that's what people are going to be looking and clicking on. So then we ended up like expanding the character and making him bigger and zoom punching in on him. Mm. And in doing so it cut off the sword that he's actually holding in his hand. So then we were like, okay, well, you know, and this is part of us collaborating with vertical entertainment, who is the distributor on just, making sure that it was very clear to everybody who would look at this, that it was a medieval, you know, set movie. So putting a sword on his back was important. And so then that was just done like on our front porch. We just, you know, when I went over to Kevin's place and got his camera and the sword out of storage and just took a picture there and then kind of blended it in in Photoshop onto his back. Um, so those are some of the detailed stuff, but yeah, big picture, that stuff is very important. Uh, because 
I want, I mean, I grew up being obsessed with that kind of iconic imagery and the RoboCop poster and, and Terminator 2 of him on the bike and those images that like sell you the whole movie, the whole concept and, and also just get you to click on it or rent it or make you excited about it. We're usually boiled down to something simple. So I'm always kind of trying to think of like, how can you take your idea and make it as simple? How do you sell your idea in one, one still or one image? So I think a lot about that stuff and usually I'm, you know, for a lot of scripts that I've written that, that haven't been made yet, there's, I have posters for them and little trailers that I've mocked up and stuff for these films uh, before they we even start shooting so that I have ideas of what, how you would go about marketing. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, the, well, and it worked too, because like I said earlier, well, it was just the cover of Thanksgiving that made my wife say, play it, play it, play it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it 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 is as in as potent as it ever was walking around the, uh, walking around the video store when you see Jack Frost with the holographic two sided, uh, cover oh, and those things. Classic. That so yeah, good. that one's one of the best. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just coming up to the end here now. Uh, I watched the Headhunter. It was again wonderful. It was really beautifully done. And the one thing I noticed because I watched Hack Job afterwards, uh, like a okay. while a while afterwards. And the one thing I noticed again, and it's something that you stick to, is this build. You have very long yeah. periods of time where something is gonna happen. Something and like and it's not like just boring like oh he's not doing anything it's oh when's it gonna happen <gasps> nope that's not the one and it's just you have these long things of build and it made me think of just this last question is what from your first movie to your last what have you how have you evolved and how did you make sure that you stayed the same well it's a great question I think. I think I've evolved by knowing that less is more uh, and being able to tap into that even more because if, if you're connecting hack job to headhunter, that's not a coincidence because I literally pulled it up when we were making headhunter and showed it to Chris, the actor and showed it to Kevin again. He knows well, of course, but mm-hmm. and said, this is what we need to do more of. Like we need more of this, like, this, this restraint, this kind of grittiness, the camera like going over here when something's happening behind us, just more of that because it just creates this, you know, kind of like gross, weird world. Um, so I would think that, yeah, how I've evolved would just be that uh, knowing more, you're being better at tapping into like what fair essentials an audience needs to be able to put all the pieces together. Uh, and then, you know, steering, steering the audience's eye towards the right parts of the room. And, and that's what was, I tried the hardest with Headhunter is just that like, if we're doing a close up on a set of keys, it's because those keys are going to mean something. Or if we're lingering on something for a little bit longer, it's because that's going to mean something. And if we're not, then there's really nothing for you to focus on, but really trying to like, get better at guiding the audience along the way without using a single piece of dialogue to do so. Um, and how have I stayed the same? I mean, I, I would say that probably just my love of the, of the genre 
in general and so much so that I just want so so deeply to do things that both feel familiar but utterly unique um, so that it's not so much of a stretch for somebody to watch uh, something that I would make in the sense that like there's it's just like a jarbled mess and it's like yeah it's original but it's I don't know what it is but I like that stuff that you can say like well this is kind of like this and kind of like that but it's also done completely differently and that was something that was always important to me was just like cool if I want to make a lake monster movie do it differently or a doll movie let's do it differently so that's the thing I always try to hold on to is just you know really try not to let yourself just succumb to what you think people want or what you what you think you've seen a lot of this year and that's what audiences are paying for or whatever but to really just try and stay true to what you would want as a viewer which is something that um I can kind of relate to but is also totally different um and and feels very original awesome well thank you again so much for uh talking to us how uh can people uh, find you and uh, is there anything in the pipeline that people can look forward to you can you know find me on my website jordan downy.com uh and uh there's links to all my socials there and i'm not a huge you know social media person but you can you know feel i love you know hearing from people so you can write me on my website or check out my youtube channel to see the short films we've talked about they're all up there uh, and the featurettes and, and, and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times I'll share pictures of how we made it or talk about some of the processes. Um, and in the pipeline, nah, there's nothing that I can say yet, but you know, the headhunters opened a lot of doors and I'm working hard on what, you know, what's going to come next, but I don't spend too much time, uh, sitting around twiddling my thumbs. So I think sooner than later I'll be, you know, uh, bringing something new to the table. That's awesome. Jordan Downey, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. It's always fun. Like I said, you know, thanks knowing is not something that I, uh, you know, feel like I want to shy away from. It's a huge part of, of who I am. It's something I'm proud of in a weird way for, you know, what we, what we did at the time, um, and I'm happy to talk about it and glad that people really, you know, have enjoyed it over the years. So it does mean a lot to all of us who, who made it. All right, guys, that was Jordan. And he was just amazing. And he was so gracious to give us as much time as he gave. We're very appreciative of him. And make sure you go check him out. Go to jordan-downey.com. Go and check out his YouTube page where most of his films actually are you can access his old student films you can get access to his newer stuff you can get uh featurettes and all sorts of stuff there so if you want to learn a bit more about him those are the places to go do it and hopefully maybe one day we'll have him back on and maybe we'll discuss thanks killing three who knows but the past is in the past what's in our future i'll tell you what's in our future a special movie that is celebrating its 30th anniversary. We're going to be doing it next week. Todd and I will already have watched and given our commentary to another classic, a sequel to a movie we have done. We are doing Back to the Future 2. Let us take a listen to the trailer. 
Do you remember the future? You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Are we back? Future? October 21st, 2015. Marty, we're going to be able to see our wedding. Wow. Future. I got to check this out, Doc. Look what happened oh. to your son. <laughs> oh. He's a complete wimp. Don't talk to anyone. You've been looking. Taylor! <laughs> Don't touch anything. I need to borrow your hoverboard. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Try not to look at anything. I didn't invent the time machine to win at gambling. I can't lose. I invented a time machine to travel through time. Hey, Doc, I'm all for that. What's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? Now, the time continuum has been disrupted, creating an alternate 1985. There have been a few changes. It's like we're in hell or something. No, it's Hill Valley, although I can't imagine hell being much worse. But they'll all be back. Eat less! Biff? Hello? Hello, anybody home? Why they can't be you? You're so big. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. Michael J. Fox. More like a couple of teenagers, you know? And Michael J. Fox. Mom, is that you? Steven Spielberg presents a Robert Zemeckis film, Back to the Future. Gotta get back in time. Part 2. Coming November 22nd to theaters everywhere. Okay, so that's what we're doing, guys. We are very excited about it. Uh, it's a lot of fun, that movie. It's just it's just one of those ones. I know people have pretty strong opinions on it one way or the other, but it's just a lot of fun to watch. So join us next week as we do that. We do just that. Uh, watch along with us. Watch it later. Listen to us. Do whatever, any combination of the things you want to do, by all means, do it. And while I've got your ear, because, you know, that's what these are all about, I just want to remind everybody, go check out our Tee Public store at tpublic.com slash stores slash miscast commentary. And you'll see some, uh, all of our shirts. We've got the big sale going on right now, I believe. Oh no, not yet, but it will be in a couple of days. So check out our social media stuff for announcements on that and see our latest shirt, which is a shirt from a Christmas story from, uh, the episode that we did with our title, Keep Your Kids Off the Pole, on there. So make sure to go check that out. And if you want to support the show, you can purchase a shirt there. And if you're going to support the show, just do it while it's on sale. And you don't have to get a shirt. There's stickers. There's mugs. There's whatever. It's all sorts of cell phone cases and notebooks. All sorts of stuff you can get printed up. Pins. You like pinning shit to shit? That's a good way to do it, is to have our faces and stuff on it, or designs that we've done. So go check that out, and we will see you guys next week with Back to the Future 2. Todd's going to be back, and Todd will be back for the later coming attractions episodes and all that, and we will be talking about all sorts of fun shit. So we will see you then. Bye for now. 
This has been Miscast Commentary with your hosts, Joe Finley and Todd Murray. Executive producer, Joe Finley. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Visit www.miscastcommentary.com for all news related to the podcast. Miscast Commentary is a Miscast Media Production.